Tune into the manifesto hosted by Emily Wheaton, Logan Cook, and Logan Bishop. The Political Science Society's new radio cast. Catch us on local 107.3 FM and wherever you find podcasts. Okay, and we have started. Today, my guest is Andrea Anderson Mason, the MLA for Funding the Isle St. John West. Hi, Andrea. Thank you so much for having me today, Logan. So, uh, let's start with the most, I think, the most pressing topic in New Brunswick, the healthcare system. It's, 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 it's kind of a mess. I think we can both agree on that. What do you think, what do you think the government needs to do to improve the healthcare system and make it more efficient in working quality? You know, I would agree with you that it is probably uh, the most topical issue that we hear right now, uh, what we call the Tim Hortons talk. Um, I'm, I think that, that we have a few other topics, which I think we're probably going to get to, like the economy, which uh, we also need to chat about because they do tie into the direction uh, that we're going with healthcare. Uh, but for me, healthcare is not a, a single solution. Uh, there's a gentleman who, you know, from my area, who he uses the expression that there's no such thing as a silver bullet, there's silver buckshot. And uh, if you're a hunter, then you understand what I mean. Uh, so when there's buckshot, there are many particles coming uh, all with the intention of the, the target, hitting the target. And that's what we need to look at when we're talking about healthcare. So for me, one of the areas that I want to make sure does not get overlooked is proactive healthcare as opposed to just the reactive healthcare. Because we really have to start having that conversation about what healthy communities look like. Uh, we should. I'm also going to ask a question about mental health, which is also another big problem facing the province. People are going to ERs for to get help for the mental health, and the ERs are turning them away because they don't have the resources and they don't have the capabilities to deal with it. How could we fix that so people who are suffering from mental health crises could get the help that they need? Well, first, I'm, I'm going to start by um, emphasizing that mental health, I think that sometimes we get too narrow focused when we use the term mental health, because I think when we have this conversation, we need to not just talk about mental health, but we need to also talk about addiction. Uh, because mental health and addiction, you often see that they go, they're, they're closely tied together. Mm -hmm. And so when we talk about the investments that we need in mental health, we cannot lose track of the investment that we also need in addiction services as well. And I think what the issue that you're raising is incredibly important because we have heard that story over and over, people being turned away. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not one to um, just repeat uh, government speaking points, mm -hmm. but I do want to emphasize that this year we had the largest investment, not just in healthcare that New Brunswick has ever seen in a budget, but also the largest investment that we've ever had in mental health. And there are a lot of improvements, uh, investments that have been made, but we're not going to see those improvements overnight. They are going to take time, but some of them have been to combat exactly what it is that you're talking about. So, you know, we have added enhanced resources to the delivery, the mobile crisis service. Um, we have provided funding to the regional health authorities to add an additional 51.3 full-time equivalent positions in the emergency departments, which is exactly what you just asked. And, and that's just two examples. Um, 
we are committed to making sure that when people show up, that they do get service, especially when it comes to young people. There's been a focus to make sure that young people are going to be served in the areas where they live, which is which is new, especially in my area. We never had anyone available, but now we do have those resources that we're putting in place. So you, you probably don't see the effect right now, but I hope you're going to see it over time. Really, I hope so, too. I, I, I know people who have committed suicide, and you probably also know people, and it's... It's a shame, really. It is. It, it absolutely is. And, you know, my heart hurts for those families. I'm a parent. Um, and so I can't imagine. I mean, I know other parents who have lost their, their young loved ones to suicide. And I can't imagine losing a child. It's something that we would all be fearful of. But, you know, that's the issue with, with mental illness, um, that there's, you know, it touches all variety of people. Mm-hmm. It touches people with with healthy incomes and with poor incomes. It it hurts females, males, uh, people in northern New Brunswick, in southern New Brunswick. It does not discriminate who it affects, and it definitely is a priority for me to continue to push for access to mental health services. But I'm going to caution this, and I don't know if you saw me say this on social media, but I think it's really important that we start talking about what resources are there because we tend to go out with a negative message of the the people who have gotten missed, who have gotten lost, and I have great concern that if we continue to have that discussion, that it will have a chilling effect on people who want to reach out. Mm-hmm. And I think that that would be a very unfortunate event if we are always focusing on the negative because it may, in fact, deter individuals from reaching out thinking there is no help available when when we do have help out there. There are always people that fall through the cracks. There are always people who are going to have bad stories, but we don't want to discourage people from reaching out. Let's, let's talk about your writing, which is also my writing. Uh-huh. It, the the liberals held it for forty years from nineteen seventy until you were elected in twenty eighteen. Yeah. How did you campaign in the way that you upset a liberal dynasty in Charlotte County? <laughs> I don't know how to respond to that. Um, nineteen seventy eight. That's really interesting. I I should tell you that's really close to the year that I was born. So for as long as I've ever been around, um, it it has been a liberal riding. When I first decided to run, I reached out to one of my mentors, which was Greg Thompson, Mm -hmm. and I let him know that I was interested in running. And I remember him saying to me, because I remember talking to him and saying, you know, it's, it's a liberal riding. And I remember him saying to me, Andrea, they voted for me. Yeah, they did. They'll vote for you. They'll vote for you. And for me, he was always my mentor. He continues to be today. Uh, I was privileged to be able to serve with him in the provincial legislature, and uh, it's how I also have tried to run my own political career, is mirrored off after him. To me, I, I don't know that it's so much about the party as it is about the person. Mm-hmm. I think when you have a rural riding, uh, a lot of it comes into the person and not the party. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. It's if No matter the party, if the right person runs and people like them, they will win. 
Well, let me give you let me give you a fun story. So okay. I think that that you and I have the most interesting riding in the province of New Brunswick <laughs> um, because we have. Whitehead Island, which is like population of 117. If I get uh-huh. that number wrong, I'm going to be in trouble. <laughs> and then I have, you know, the city of St. John as well. Uh-huh. And you notice such a difference when you campaign door to door. So when you are in the city portions of the riding, everyone wants to talk about the leader and they want to talk about the party. Uh-huh. And as soon as you hit rural New Brunswick, they want to know who your parents are, who you're married <laughs> to, how many kids you have, and where you went to school. And I don't mind that. I actually find that the charm of rural New Brunswick. Uh, but for me, that is evidence that in rural ridings, it's probably weighted heavier to the individual than it is the party. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I went door to door in uh, 2021 for uh, John Williamson and you notice that that people didn't really care about the party leader they cared about the candidate and what he stood for absolutely keeping with the writing the government has been very uh pro small what are they called small module reactors pointing them a point yeah. pro that will SMRs. fall in our writing what do you think about smrs and their and their advantages I have had uh, many communications with um, both uh, companies who are actively working in New Brunswick. So that is Moltex and Arc Nuclear. And of course, you probably know they have two different types of technology, and I hope you don't ask me to explain them because <laughs> I'm not going to do a very good job at that. Um, I was, and, but that being said, I think that nuclear technology is very misunderstood. And there was a little tidbit of information that I was recently given from uh, an employee from ARC who told me that in an individual's lifetime, the energy that they use, the amount of waste that is created by the energy that is used from nuclear, are you ready for this? Mm-hmm. It will fit into a pop can. Really? Really? Isn't that fascinating? Yeah, I I honestly didn't know that. It will fit into a pop can. So I think that our area is really unique because we do have quite a social license. Mm -hmm. And we've always had a very good relationship uh, with Point La Pro. Mm -hmm. It's not quite that way in the rest of the province. And I'd like to see people learn more about nuclear because once you know more, you fear less. Yeah, n- nuclear has its pros, definitely, especially the jobs. The jobs are, there's a lot of them, and they're great-paying jobs. They employ a lot of people. They do, and small modular uh, reactors, nuclear reactors, um, they're going to employ not just people in the nuclear in- industry, but there are all the spin-off jobs that are going to come with it, uh, all of the trades jobs. And I hate using this expression, but I'm going to use it. It's way overused. It really can be a game changer for our province, especially when you consider the energy challenges that we're facing globally. These aren't just, this isn't just a magic bean story. There is, there's real technology here, and I think we have to take it very seriously, and I'm excited to see New Brunswick at the forefront. Sticking with the riding, internet access is a problem throughout most of the riding. There's not there's not good internet. Should will the government or should the government spend more money with private businesses and give people better internet access, high speed internet? 
Well, you know, Logan, that this has been a priority for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, I move around a fair amount in the riding. I've had a few different houses in the riding. And um, at one point, I was living in a little place called Bert Alban. Um, we were living on the water. And I remember when we were there, uh, it was fine. My, I would get cell service because it, it's more than cell service or internet access. It's also cellular service mm-hmm. as well, I think. Uh, and when I was upstairs in the house, my cell service was fine. And as I would go downstairs to where the children's bedrooms were, I would get a notice on my phone that said, welcome to the United States of America. <laughs> <laughs> we, we can do better and we need to do better uh, because the world has changed and it changed uh, faster than we expected through COVID. Many of us are working from home. We have attracted newcomers to come to our province and they came with the expectation that they were going to be able to work from home and I am scared that we sold many of them a, uh, a false sense of uh, <laughs> a, a, bad, a bad story but I think it has to be fixed because if we are going to keep up with the rest of the world then we need to assure that we have not just good internet access but we need to have great cellular access you know when I leave Fredericton and you're going to know my route mm-hmm. I leave Fredericton and I travel down the 785, and from the time of leaving the legislature to getting to Oromocto, my phone calls will drop five times. That's unacceptable. The biggest news in New Brunswick politics in the past week has been the resignation of Dominic Carity. That letter was, in my opinion, it was scathing. What do you think of the letter and the resignation of Carity? interesting conversation uh, it's a great question I I think and you correct me if I'm wrong Logan but I think that there has been a bit of public perception that Dominic and I may not have always worked well together mm-hmm. is that a fair comment or am I making that one up I think it's a fair comment I remember a couple years ago the vaccine in schools that fiasco that that people people don't think people think that you and Dominic never get along well Yeah, I think the media really tried to portray that story, but I think it was quite inaccurate. I have a tremendous amount of respect for Dominic Mm Hardy. He's probably one of the smartest people that I have worked with, and he is um, definitely the hardest worker. There was never a time that I didn't call Dominic or message him that he didn't respond. And I can tell you it's it's not always that way in government. He didn't Mm -hmm. just respond, but he responded with concern and always addressed any issue that I had. Uh, that man, when you saw him at work, if he was sitting at the cabinet table or if he was sitting in the legislature, he was responding to messages non-sp- nonstop, and nobody could keep up with him as far as the amount of work that he produced. So I do have a tremendous amount of respect for him. I think it's very unfortunate that things have gone the way they have. Uh, I think the letter was absolutely shocking to many. But I recently asked someone in the Conservative Party did you have the same response when Jody Wilson-Raybould left the Liberals? And it caused them to stop and pause. Do I think that it was appropriate? Um, I think it could have been handled differently. Mm -hmm. At the same time, we know Dominic and we know that he does react very passionately. Mm -hmm. And it was a passionate response that he gave. And um, he will answer to his actions, and uh, we'll see where it goes. 
Yeah, that, that definitely was the biggest news in New Brunswick in the past week. The other big news that doesn't really affect you have been the resignation of three liberal MLAs from the caucus. That's just... Yeah. Um, it, it, didn't quite, it didn't quite get the coverage that Dominic did, though, did it? No, it really didn't. Roger Melanson wanted... He posted it on Twitter. I saw some articles from, like, The Telegraph and CBC, and then that was that. Was that. Well, I think Roger posted at... Um, Gosh, was it like 10 in the morning? It was a weird and time. I can tell you, I know exactly when Dominic posted because it was about 12 minutes before I walked into the Premier's office. I had a, I had a meeting with the Premier on Thursday morning when Dominic resigned and and it, and it was about, it hit Twitter about 12 minutes before I walked in. Uh, let's talk about the prop, the way properties are taxed. The property tax assessment came out, I don't remember when, not, not awfully long ago, and people were complaining in that industry especially the Irvings, aren't paying what they should. Should the property tax system be reformed? Oh, that's a really good question. So that's, it's an interesting conversation because many of the reasons why the residential tax rate or assessments changed was because in the numerous transactions that we had where there were residential properties changing hands, and so they were affected by, um, by these transactions. And there's been criticism that, that that we didn't see the large increase in industrial properties. But industrial properties didn't transfer mm-hmm. the same way residential properties were transferring in the province of New Brunswick. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Just a lot of people so, a lot of people were complaining about the system. Right. And so, you know, when I, you know that I practiced law for 17 mm-hmm. years, and uh, when a person was coming in and buying property in my, in the office, uh, we would always go through the tax assessed value of the property. And it was consistently, I would say, this is what you paid for the property. This is what it's tax assessed at. And there was always a tremendous gap between, uh, almost always, a significant gap between the the sale or the purchase price and then the tax assess value. And I would always warn clients, this is going to be a flag to the assessment office to review um, the actual Mm -hmm. tax assessed value of your property. And it was. But of course, there wouldn't be that same flag on the industrial properties because they weren't transferring the same way that commercial or the residential properties were. I think we do need to continue to look at our taxation system. I think that it's confusing to most New Brunswick residents. Mm-hmm. And I think that we as New Brunswick, uh, the New Brunswick government, we need to do a better job on educating the public. Uh, so yeah, I definitely think we need to keep a close eye on it. And I'm always open to suggestions. Something else that has come in the past couple of weeks is the, the finance minister announced that the province has a $777 million surplus. Yes. I saw people, really social media, complaining that there was such a large surplus when there were so many problems plaguing the province. What do you say to those people? Okay, I love this conversation. So I think what we really need to talk about is we need to talk about what a budget is. Mm-hmm. So a budget is something, you know, if you if you have a household budget, and what I have learned is most people do not operate on a household budget, but if you, we all should be. If you have a household budget, what you do is you sit down and you say, this is what I expect to make in revenue in the year ahead, and this is what I expect my income to be. 
And that's exactly or my expenses to be. And that's exactly what the province does. It's an estimate. It is an educated guess. There is somewhat of a science to it, but we really, there are a lot of things that we can't predict. Look at the things we haven't been able to predict. COVID, <laughs> Fiona, there's all sorts of stuff that hits us. The market fluctuations, um, so many things. So we do our best when we put the budget together to say, we think this is how much money we're going to have coming in. We think this is how much we're going to spend. And then throughout the year, there are four updates to see where we're on track. Mm -hmm. And so right now, all that we have is a prediction. And what we're learning is that our prediction wasn't fully accurate. And the place where we were off, largely, was in revenues. But the general public seems to perceive it as it's because we cut back on something. But that's not what happened. We've actually had increased revenues. So I'm surprised at the amount of criticism that we get because it's almost as though it was done intentional, but it's no different than if you did your household budget in the spring and then you got a raise or mm -hmm. a new job, right? You have to adjust. Or maybe your roof blew off. Well, you have to adjust. That's all a budget is. Uh, something that I've seen a lot of people complain about, and I have been complaining about, is the electoral system. First past the post, in my opinion, is flawed. What do you think about changing electoral system away from first past the post? I'm with you. Now, I don't have the answer, but I agree mm -hmm. that the first past the post system seems to be antiquated, mm -hmm. and uh, probably one of the things that I am the most passionate about is uh, good governance and making sure that we have public confidence mm -hmm. in our system. And you're watching, I'm sure, what's been happening globally and especially mm -hmm. south, south of the border. And it causes me great concern to see people losing such confidence in our public institutions. So I would be very open to having a discussion of how we can revise how government works because one of the things you learn when you, when you get elected is it's not easy to have a voice in government if you are not at the cabinet table. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and even then there, there are a few issues out there. But if you are elected as an opposition member, it's even more challenging for you. Or if you're elected even as a third, elect a third party, mm -hmm. it's increasingly difficult. But here's what I know, is that elected member of the third party or of the opposition, their voice is just as important as any other voice elected because the voter is never wrong. And I think that there is an expectation of the voting population that who they have voted for will have an opportunity to be heard in a respectful manner and ideas considered. I'm not sure that it plays out as seamlessly as we portray it, uh, but I do believe we can do better. You mentioned Camden. You were you were Attorney General for two years, if I'm correct. That's correct, yes. Can you talk about your time in Camden, what it's like being a Cabinet Minister? Can you be more specific about the question? Oh, uh, like... What does a what does a cabinet minister do? Let's let's into that. 
Well, the Attorney General is a little bit different than other ministerial portfolios mm-hmm. uh, because they're, you know, the, the, they represent the legal counsel for the province. And so the role of the Attorney General is a bit unique because they tend to see what's going on in all departments because every, every issue that comes before cabinet also has to be vetted through the attorney general's office. So it really is quite a privilege to hold that position because you get a different perspective than someone who maybe is the minister of transportation or the mm-hmm. minister of agriculture, aquaculture, and fisheries. Um, it's, it was interesting to see it from that perspective, government and how it works. I've got two questions. I think this will be the last ones. First off, Will you run for re-election in 2024? That's another great question. Um, I'm not going to say yes. Okay. And, and I'm not going to say no. Okay. Uh, this, this job certainly has its challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, it, is, it does take a tremendous toll on, on a family, and I still have children at home. Now, my children will be graduated by the time 2024 comes along. Mm-hmm. But I'm not married to this job, and the question that I will ask myself is, where am I the most effective? And I think one of the challenges that I have felt the most is when I practice law, I felt as though every day I was able to impact somebody's life in a positive Mm -hmm. way. And as a politician, I do not get that same reward. It It is less stressful in some ways, but in other ways, it is more challenging. So the question that I'll be asking myself, because I certainly have other things that I can do, is where where am I the most effective to move the province of New Brunswick forward? Because I still love this province mm-hmm. and I love my region, um, but I'm not tied to the job. Well, my next question was, you basically answered it was, do you have aspirations to run federally? Uh, I don't. You don't? Okay. No, no, I don't, which is kind of surprising to me, Logan, because it's like pu- it surprised me. Started, well, what I told you when I started is I always admired Greg Thompson. Mm-hmm. And I always, you know, I've had it in my heart since I was a child, my love of politics. And mm-hmm. when I used to casually talk about politics, I would have expected that I would have ran federally. But what I've really learned through all this process is one of the places where you can be the most effective is at your very local level. Mm-hmm. I can't emphasize enough the importance of municipal, mm-hmm. regional politics. I agree. Because that's the, that is the other frustration that I have probably felt. Uh, we have not been, because we, we have not, um, of how we are organized so that we had such a rural area, there was a real lack of representation yeah. in the rural parts of New Brunswick. So <sighs> municipal reform, in my opinion, is a positive thing for the province. Because there were areas of the province in my riding yeah. that I couldn't help because I really didn't have any designated party to be able to work with. Yeah. Now, do I, do I think we got municipal reform 100% right? Nobody ever gets anything 100% <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but I think it's definitely the right direction. So for me, I think I have had an eye-opening experience and a new passion for municipal politics and who knows? Maybe that would even be a better fit. Yes, there's there's a, there's the municipal election in uh, five weeks. Yeah, there are. I'm I'm not going to run for municipal election <laughs> this time around. That's for sure. <laughs>
No, it's... I've, I've never had local government representation in my life, and this year, I finally have it. It's, it's a nice feeling to have, to have someone, like a council, you can go talk to, or a mayor. Someone who will fight for you. It is, and, and that's where the real work happens. Because it is at the regional level that they set the priorities, mm-hmm. and then they come to the province, and then it's my job as a provincial representative to guide them through the system, to advocate for them, and to work hand in hand. And the most important thing that I have realized is that if you're going to be successful in politics, if you're going to be successful in improving an area, you've got to be willing to work with others. And if you're getting into politics to fight with others, then go find yourself a different career. Go into the boxing ring, because <laughs> what this job really is about is is collaboration and listening. Yeah, uh, this is not really relevant to the interview, but I am running for town council in six weeks. So. Are you? Yeah. Are I, you? Where did you Where did you put your name in? Uh, the Eastern Charlotte Ward Two, so like the Funday Bay LSD. Excellent, because last I looked, I didn't see anybody's name there, so I'm glad to hear that, Logan. That's really exciting. The paper, the postal system is slow, and so they haven't got the papers, <laughs> the papers yet. But. Okay, so is this is this like the breaking of the news? Is this the oh no, that you no, no, no. Oh no, I've I said I was going to run in like May, but okay. Now it's starting to get serious. I'm starting to campaign, and uh, it's going to be exciting. It's going to be exciting. What do you think of the municipal reform? I like it because it does give us local government. I, I, I don't. I see some people don't like it because it basically amalgamates communities, say like St. George and Black's Harbor. But we only have seven thousand people in Eastern Charlotte. We have to amalgamate to go into the future as a team and not against each other. Logan, you've probably heard me use this example so many times. Graham and Ann is the perfect example that I, you know, Graham and Ann amalgamated 20, 25 years ago. And uh, I can't think of a stronger group mm-hmm. of advocates for their region than Graham and Ann. And the great thing is, even though they are now one municipal, municipalized group, Seal Cove, I can tell you, it's mm-hmm. still there. <laughs> the people of Seal Cove are still proud of Seal Cove, mm-hmm. just like the people of Northhead are, are proud of Northhead. Those communities just didn't disappear. They still have their unique, unique characteristics, but that municipal group works together and they get things done. We all need good representation in government. I think we can agree on that. Well, that that's uh, that's all I've got for questions. Thank you for taking the time to do this interview. Any time at all. Thank you so much for asking. Well, I'll be talking. I'll probably message you about something sooner rather than later. Absolutely, and you know how it is. If I don't respond right away, you message me again because it means you got lost somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) I'm gonna. I'll end with this: the politics of today are not the politics of the Sheldon Lee days. Mm -hmm. I remember always hearing the story about Sheldon, who um, everybody in our area knows who Mm -hmm. it is. He was. He's also quite a mentor for all of us, and he would say, "I answered every single phone call before I laid my head down." (laughs) Well, politics of today is completely different. Not only do you have to try and answer the phone calls. You have to answer the email. Mm-hmm. You have to answer your Facebook messages, your Twitter, and your Instagram. <laughs> and it is not always possible to get to them all because also it's not just people from your writing who are messaging you. It's everybody. The messages I receive from across the province, it's astounding. Okay, well. So it's not for the 
it's not for the faint of heart. So yes. all the best to you, and uh, I'm excited to see how this goes. Thank you. Well, all right, take care. You too. Bye-bye. All right, bye now.